Hello, my name is Simon Miller from What Culture Wrestling, and you are listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast, and you better keep listening to it. Why? Here's why. You're, You're listening, listening to, to the Podmania, Podmania Pro, Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Podcast, Podcast, a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we can produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and all other podcast platforms. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at podmania.co.uk. Let's do this. Welcome to another episode of the Podmania podcast, also known as the episode where we take a progress virgin, partner him up with a progress smark, and see what happens when they review progress. Chris, how are you? Get blue, boys. It's going to be a good fucking tonight. (laughs) Yes, we're finally doing the progress retro review that we said we were going to do, then didn't do for about four weeks, and it is still steadily been driving chris crazy hasn't it my friend because fucking the one time we delay review and it's when you're finally getting to watch progress (laughs) yes i am a complete progress noob this is the first time i've ever watched progress it's basically it's in a lot of ways basically a weekly progress yeah i mean yeah when you look at the talent that was on this show and i know that was why you chose it for me and Garth. Garth, coincidentally, isn't here. Um, He has watched the show and he's given his ratings, uh, but he's not here. Um, Reasons were not given as to why he's not here, but I'm sure, Chris, what kind of fancy reason are you going to give for Garth's absence? Uh, Here's the thing. I think he got his dick stuck in a blender. (laughs) He's now in the magical dick shop finding a perspective. Like, he's also there with his wife because, you know, she's the one who's going to benefit most from this perspective, so... I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Like, you know, I can't, I can, I can't understand why people fuck their exhausts. Like, I, I know it's a thing. I don't understand it. Like, but at least there's like a hole, and there's no, you know, foreseeable damage unless someone turns the car on. Um, a blender. There can't be any pleasure. A, it's a, you know, you know, Rob. Some people just can't get it up if there's no inherent danger, whether it be like trauma in their life. <laughs> Or maybe they just watch too much extreme porn, which is actually a problem many people of my generation face. But yes, Rob, but I can I can see it happening. So basically, not what you're accident. saying is is that Garth is danger wanking into a blender, and that's why he's not here. I mean, I'm not I'm not implying that he shouted someone's name before starting. That would constitute <laughs> wanking into a blender. Maybe trying to make a smoothie. Oh God, the worst kind of smoothie. I feel like we're already off the rails here. Um, yes, yes. We are. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, we're here to re- uh, review Progress Chapter 55, Chase the Sun, uh, September the 10th, 2017, from Alexandra Palace. Now, Chris, did you watch this live? No, well, you can't watch any Progress shows live, really. You, you know, know what I mean, at the time. I can know this is like... Literally three months before I got into Progress. I got into Progress two shows after this. Right, okay. And how many times have you seen this show in particular now? Twice. I watched it once when I was told to go back to it to understand the current product. And then again for this review. 
Okay, that's fair. That Yeah, that's fair. Um, obviously, this is my first foray into progress, and I must admit, despite it being, you know, three hours, three and a half hours plus, it was a thoroughly enjoyable show. Top to bottom, I really, really, really enjoyed this show. And it was so different to the WWE and AEW and, you know, the very highly produced things that we get on the mainstream of wrestling. But here it was, you know... It was exactly what it advertised. It was punk rock wrestling. I, I I really, really enjoyed it. And I could see, you know, certainly be seeing myself seeing a couple more episodes or a couple more chapters I, if they are I'm to be. I'm definitely going to watch more chapters at some point. Uh, at some point, I'm sure, during this review, we will we will review more, more progress, I'm sure, because Garth seemed to be into it as well. And Garth's our barometer of what we review, I feel. Because <laughs> we'll often see some of them just go... Japanese smart, indie smart, Joshi smart, get the fuck out of here. And that's honestly just when I talk to him about normal things. <laughs> <laughs> just music in general. No, it's like, Garth, I really like No Gallagher's High Flying Bird. Get out of here, you Joshi smart. Like, All right. <laughs> just Joshi gets bought into everything. I mean, let's be honest, in the retro review, there's absolutely not a chance he is reviewing any Joshi whatsoever. I mean, I'm trying to. Th- I- I'm pretty sure they put in the like the biggest Joshi show ever is like the Tokyo Dome on the Big Egg Pro Wrestling Universe, and don't ask me what the name means. I have no fucking clue, but I'm pretty sure he just is like we don't have veto powers, but he'd find a way to veto it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. But he didn't veto progress, and progress was voted by you, our Twitter following. Um, so thank you for that. And yeah, let's dive straight in. Uh, like I say, Alexandra Palace, uh, the biggest show. The progress have done upwards of 2,000 tickets sold. It was a sellout, and you could tell that from the pictures. Not a seat to be had in the house. We started off with the progress tag team championship ladder match with. Uh, oh, can I quickly the uh, opening? Yeah, of course. All right, so the opening video package was a um, don't steal our shit thing, and it's like you wouldn't steal Jimmy's handbag. You wouldn't steal Pastor William Eva's cross. <laughs> you wouldn't steal Glenn, Glenn Joseph's glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Jim Smartman does his normal thing, asking the crowd if they've seen progress before and, told, and said one little progress, which is don't be a dick. It's a cute opening. Anyway, go on. No, that's, that's absolutely fine. Chris Roberts got booed um, when he came out, which is a progress tradition. That's fair enough. That is absolutely fair enough. I mean, you will have to... If there is anything important that Jim Smallman said, because I'll be perfectly honest, with everything I watched in King of Pro Wrestling and everything like that, I didn't watch all the Jim Smallman bits. So I watched the matches, I watched the post-match bits, and then as soon as Jim Smallman came out, I was like, ah, and fast-forwarded it. So if there's anything important, Chris, please tell me. Right, so we opened up, like I say, with the Progress Tag Team Championship ladder match with CCK defeating the champions British Strong Style, Tyler Bate and Trent Seven at 17 minutes and 27 seconds. Chris, the story, please. Right, so basically CCK are like the new kids on the block. Um, they sort of upset British Strong Style winning the um, Tag Team Championship and later down the line, British Strong Style won it back in a six-man and then this is basically the rubber match to get it back. But also in the run-up to this, Chris Brooks has defeated Trent Seven. Basically, British Strong Style are like the biggest, like a lot of what progress errors can be defined by like heel runs. So you sort of like have Jimmy Havoc run and now we have British Strong Style. And you said to me actually before we recorded the other day that you can't imagine British Strong Style as heels. Well, it's, 
like you say, and I've said, and I will probably say multiple times, I've, I've never seen progress before. And my only exposure to uh, Mustache Mountain and British Strong Style is through the NXT UK stuff, where they are uber baby faces. So to see them in this completely different light, to see them in these heels that are fucking universally hated, especially, and obviously this goes on into the main event as well, is, you know, I mean, I can't see Trent Seven as anything else now. I, I think um, that's what something I love about Progress, like, despite the fame of someone, they would boo the face and cheer the heel. Like, for example, Osprey and Havoc had a feud last year, and Osprey was the heel, so he got booed, despite the fact that it's Will fucking Osprey. But I think that's like, important. It isn't. It is important because it really takes you out of it when people, when a big like when Kevin Owens, for example, as amazing as he is, he gets cheered. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you mean. I mean, it. There's loads of people that talk about this on almost every wrestling podcast about that dichotomy between the cool heel and an actual heel. Like Baron Corbin is an actual heel. He is a good heel. You know, much as people absolutely do not classify Baron Corbin as a decent wrestler or whatever you want. He is a very, very, very good heel. Kevin Owens is not a good heel because everyone fucking loves him. And no, that's the difference. He, he's trying his fucking best to be a good heel. It's really not his fault. No, like, absolutely If Kevin not. Owens is doing the same shit in Progress, he would get booed because Progress actually, fans actually boo the heels. Exactly. But anyway, yeah, BSS have a massive baby face and CCK have sort of been leading the Charge. A lot of people tried to leave the charge against um, Brit Strong Style, which we'll get more into as we get into the show. Basically, they're cocky, sadistic heels, and CCK are like the uber new kids on the block baby faces. I mean, this was a cracking match. What what a fantastic <laughs> opener. It was, it was such it was like, good fun like, to watch. It was like a takeover opener. It was. That's exactly what I thought throughout. And I kept thinking about how, you know, the um, tag team match at NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool and that mm-hmm. match between Mustache Mountain and Grizzled Young Veterans. Um, but, yeah, it was excellent. Really, really, really good spots. I mean, you've got Trent Seven slapping the absolute fucking bejesus out of Kid Lycos and out of Chris Brooks. Um, you've got the lovely bit where he puts his hand down his shorts, goes to uh, lick his hand uh, and picks a pube out of his teeth. That's that's absolutely beautiful. Um there's one spot I want to talk to you about. Now, I understand from my research, yes, I did research, that Kid Lycos was actually injured before the match. He was he had a shoulder injury before this match, apparently. Uh, Mike was never, throughout his whole career, was never not um, injured. He was always injured. Actually, it was an amazing, I have an amazing Kid Lycos shirt, and it's like pointing out all his injuries. And it's like him on an operation table, and then it just points to his heart, and it just like points to his heart, and does in quotation marks, shut up, like us. <laughs> Is that the like us shirt you wore in Blackpool? Yeah. Ah, it's a good shirt, guys. Seriously. Because I, I was like, oh, am I ever going to go smarky? Or my John Cena t shirt? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, we're talking about Lycos. Obviously, I'm I'm not surprised in any way that he was as injured as he was because of his high flying style and the stuff that he the stuff that he did in this match. One one particular spot just it had me physically shout. And wrestling so rarely at the moment gets me to go fucking hell out loud. Um, and the spot. <sighs> Trent Seven hits a dragon suplex on Lycos, and there's a ladder oh. on its side, 
and Lycos yeah. takes it all the way up his spine. Holy shit. That is the most that. painful ladder spot I think I've ever seen. I love Lycos. I love CCK, but Lycos was not a smart wrestler. Lycos was very much a car crash wrestler, but, but from what I've seen of this and what I've heard oh, on the this, internet... A, a lot of... This is quite typical for Lycos. Not the falling on ladders, but like the jumping the fuck about. Yeah, that's very typical Lycos. Yeah. I did enjoy the fact that they had such... A, a Very often, these matches, they either go over the top on the silly high spots or they go over the top in comedy. And I thought this match found a nice sort of blend between the two. I enjoyed the fact, I enjoyed the moment where Lycos attempts to go up the ladder and the ladder's too small and he's too small. So Seven pulls him down. Uh, Seven tries to and Seven doesn't like height. So Chris Brooks, who's about 40 foot tall. Um, he was staring at him. He was enormous. Um, and then he pulled Seven off and then Tyler Bates got the, you know, the Terry Funk ladder around his head and he's spinning round. It it was just really, really good fun. A really, really good opener. Um Re- really canny ladders though. Oh yes. Absolutely. Like they just went to B and Q before this and got went, well, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> Alexandra Palace isn't that big a building, is it? Um to be fair, it's not as bad as the last um well I'll probably make you review the show one day at chapter thirteen, the last time we had a ladder match. Um, I've I've heard <laughs> I read a couple of reviews actually online. Um, was it? I've got it written down somewhere. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, riots versus SDS. Oh, I got I'm getting mixed up with yeah. No, I was thinking of the Andrews Jimmy Havoc match, but yeah, fucking I forgot about that one. Yeah, I I'd, I'd read it and wrote it down just to ask you about it actually, and I forgot to ask you about it before we went on air. Um, I've actually seen it it's before, that's way before i got into progress I've, I've, i I kind of want to go back to chapter one and watch all of them but at the same time it's not like it's an hour long show they're like three hour long shows so. and who has got time for that not me rob i'm a student um <laughs> who spent who spent five minutes complaining that people in his house were stealing his charger and his beer <laughs> a poor student that's it um Towerless Wankers chant was quite nice when Tyler Bate didn't have his towel. That was amazing. That was amazing. And the fact that they kept delaying the match with the just constantly picking up the towel, putting it back on. Then they'd carry on chanting. Then he put the towel back on the rope and he'd start again, so he put it back on his... He, I love these two. And Trent Seven is just... He is bae. Trent Seven is bae. Absolutely. I'd this later on, but I'll ask you it now. Who's the most attractive member of British Strong Style? Who, who would Rob do? Oh... Who would um, Rob take on hardcore? <laughs> um, I imagine Tyler Bay is a very, very happy, I'm just happy to be here type of lover. Because <laughs> he's 21 years old. Yeah, I bet he'd go for fucking days as well. You'd be red raw. Um, <laughs> Paul Liv Morgan. Pete Dunne, I imagine, is one of the most aggressive fuckers in the bedroom. I bet there's biting. He does not care about how you finish. He just cares about his finish. Yeah, exactly. I bet there's handcuffs, there's fucking chains. I'm just not into that shit. There's a bear in the corner for some reason. And you don't know why, but you just go along with it because you're too scared to say no. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, he makes you wear his gum shield and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm not into this shit. But... You know, you're scared for your life because it's Pete fucking done. Um, so, to be honest, I imagine 
Trent Seven, you'd have great sex, he'd look after you, and then you'd go out for a curry afterwards. So absolutely Trent Seven. He doesn't he looks like he takes a lot of cheat days. <laughs> I love him. Honestly, he's he's easily my favourite member of um British Strong Style. Easily. He's he's my favourite person to watch on like a weekly basis, but I don't want him in big matches. And then again, I say that him versus Walter this year is one of my matches of the year. So. You gave it 10 stars. Absolutely. By the way, I, ladies I, and gentlemen, I, check yeah. out our ratings at podmania.co.uk. There was some progress ones up there and I bothered to send them over. Um, <laughs> no, this is really... Honestly, this felt like... Have you ever seen the Shawn Michaels versus um, Bret Hart ladder match? Yes, I have. Have you have you seen the Rock versus Triple H ladder match? I have indeed. Yes, it's it's kind of like that. Like they're two men, they're two they're two teams trying to batter each other and go up, as opposed to just rush up. Yeah, and I think that worked. Talking about that, I mean, we've got the the closing spot, which I can see why some people think it's quite contrived. Um, it was really the only contrived spot with a ladder. So yeah. we can let them off. We can let them off a little bit, and it leads to, you know, an extremely painful spot if you're Tyler Bate having been back body dropped onto a ladder. Um, but yeah, CCK win the titles. Cathartic, Chris. Well, yeah, because this basically it's it's super weird. So like the story of tonight is basically can British Strong Style be toppled? Whereas the story of next year's Wembley show. Is um, oh, can British strong style regain their dominance? So next, the Wembley show. Then I know we're going yeah. slightly off topic here, but again, it's you know it's an interesting product. I want to know all I can about it. The Wembley show. So our British strong style faces at Wembley. Yeah, by when actually by the time I'm watching two shows later, their faces. How the fuck do you go from an entire? Alexandra Palace standing up and but, sticking up their middle you know, fingers at you. That's the London crowd and the Manchester crowd were just happy to see British Strong Style. Uh, yeah, fair enough. And so he was um, Pete Dunn was feuding with Joseph Connors. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Instantly, maybe <laughs> things. Yeah, fair enough, um, fair enough. Basically, um, as you'll see later on in the night, there is one ma- new massive heel in progress, and um, British Strong Style sort of moved to fa- to face them. Like they sort of accepted their loss of power. Yeah, literally massive. Um, so obviously we move on. What sort of star rating are we giving that, Chris? I gave this an eight. It was really fun. I honestly think it would be better if it wasn't a ladder match. But also these lads have had non ladder matches already, so Yeah, I think it was the natural progression if that's the storyline. Um I'd give it eight as well. I thought it was a real good barnstorming out. Now I know Garth gave it eight as well. He was very impressed. I think his only gripe was the fact that he went slightly too young long, but it at 17 minutes, you know... That's about as long as standard NXT opening. So. Yeah, I, d- I don't think it lasted long too long. There is a match later on that I think suffered from going too long, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So before we go into our next match, Chris, we're on Jim Smallman watch. Is there anything important that Jim Smallman said? Um, Jim Smallman introduces Paz, who is a new father at the time. So well done, Paz. Back in 2017, he's... The daughter will be two now, so that's going to be hell for you. Sorry, Paz. But also, Paz is now Leecher Paz. All right, okay. He does basically, um, he accidentally revealed he can do a 619, so Jim Smallman makes him do a 619 um, nowadays for a live crowd. Um, How the fuck do you <laughs> accidentally reveal you can do a 619? No, he said it, not thinking Jim Smallman would act on it. <laughs> Ugh, okay. 
<laughs> and then um, Smallman introduced the announce team, um, pointing out um, Glenn Joseph, who's looking very good in his wee suit, and everyone else in the announce team. But so, so everyone else but Glenn Joseph sort of blurs together for me. Yeah, I found that. Um, I was listening to Something to Wrestle uh, with Bruce, Bruce Pritchard, and he was talking about Taz. And he said he liked... You go. Say again. This is not what... I didn't think we'd go into Bruce Pritchard and Taz. Well, he said, and it was an interesting point, actually. He said he always wanted Jim Ross and Taz together because you've got Jim Ross, who was Southern, and you've got Taz, who was from New York. And that was a very, very clear differentiation between the two. And I'd, I'd never really thought about that before. But the problem I had here was, if it wasn't Glenn Joseph, I couldn't tell the difference between the other two. I don't even know the names of the other two when I watch the product. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, just so you know, it was uh, Callum Leslie and Matt Richards. To be fair, Callum Leslie's pretty lovely. <laughs> He's lovely. He's just lovely. Um... What's my point? Oh yeah, it's better than next year where we started using Dahlia Black, who's completely untrained as comment in commentary. Right? How come she? Well, actually, we can talk about that in a moment because we moved on to match two, uh, which was for the Progress Women's Championship with the champion Tony Storm retaining over Dahlia Black at seven minutes and thirty-one seconds with a strong zero. Chris, story, yes. please. Basically, Dahlia Black's the number one contender after coming back from New Zealand. It's not a massive story. I'm not. I won't lie to you. <laughs> the the story that the commentary team did a fantastic job of getting the stories over for every match. To be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. so I never felt out of the loop. And the video packages when they were used later on in the night, um, they certainly helped, and they were very well shot. Um, this match, um. I don't know whether it was just me or whether she was in the room with, uh, sorry, in the ring with Tony Storm. I felt Dahlia Black was just a little teensy wincy bit green. Oh, Dahlia Black's not never, was never amazing the whole time she wrestles. Like she's capable. She like she never injured anyone, I, to my knowledge, apart from maybe herself. <laughs> but she's not like like she's not a crisp worker, shall we say? She can put on a good match with someone more capable than her, which we saw here. So Yeah, it was a good match, but it was it was never threatening to move into a great or a, a, a show-stealing match. Yeah, um, Tony Storm is amazing, though. I think we need to put that over very strongly because she's just... Prob- is she the best non-Japanese women's worker right now? Um, Don't say Tessa Blanchard. I mean, there is Tessa Blanchard. Um... Tessa Blanche is a better package for not a better worker. Non-Japanese women's... I mean... Say say this worldwide, you have like Mama, um, Iwatani, Mama Watanabe, and all these other names that mean fucking nothing to you. Um, no, like, I, know, well, yeah. I know Mayu. Oh, you have Asuka and... Um, Kairi. Kairi and Io. So, like, it's not really fair if you include the Japanese. Well, yeah, but, I mean, if you look at... You look at NXT, you've got... Um, Candice LeRae. Candice Array is great. It's um, fantastic. You've got Tessa Blanchard, who you can't discount much as so I know you want to, just to annoy Garth. Um, it is just Garth, to be fair. We had a massive debate um, a few months ago. I was just like, okay, so who's better, Tony Storm or Tessa Blanchard, expecting you to take my fucking side? And you didn't. So. No, I didn't. I didn't, you're right. Um, and to be honest, you know, you look at the main, WWE's main roster, 
they have got some absolutely amazing women. I mean, Sasha Banks, Charlotte, both are Bailey. fantastic workers. Bailey is a fantastic worker. Becky Lynch is a fantastic worker. I think, you know, she's probably not the strongest of the four, but I'd say Tony he's, Storm is somewhere around there. I don't think she's the strongest, no. No, so she's not. She's definitely not the strongest promo. This title's mine. It's Tony time. Um, there's a decent, there's a decent technical start that went into a crisscross. I'll start, start here. Hmm. Tony coming out on top because she always does. She's amazing. Um, you saw some art-based offense, which you don't really see from Tony nowadays, do you? It was, it was heavily art-based. Very, very art-based. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that from Tony Storm before. And at one it, point, she was just. Standing bent over, slapping her ass whilst Bla- whilst Dolly Black watched, which was a bit odd. Yeah. It was quite standard um, until about a year and a half ago. Oh, weirdly, until she signed with WWE. Uh... <laughs> oh, isn't Mae Young um, before this? No. Well, Pete Dunne was the WWE champion, and that happened in. No, I yeah, don't think. And... Wait, hang on. This happened in September, and May Young would join the summer. Yes, but hasn't there been two May Young classics? There has. She was in the first one. Tony wasn't in the first one. She was in the second one. Yes, she was. She was in the first one. She got knocked out by Kyrie. Was she in both? Yeah. Oh, okay. Then I didn't realize she was in the first one. Fair enough. <laughs> My apologies. Um, I I don't know. What, the first point I realized that Dahlia wasn't exactly the strongest worker. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, she landed head a lot. <laughs> They they obviously wanted to put her over. She kicked out of a strong zero, which, you know, apparently is no mean feat. Um, but her moonsault oh, no. looked really ropey. Like, it's very close to CM Punk levels, and you don't want to get to CM Punk levels with moonsault. No. Um, aside from that, really, for me, the only other moment is where Tony obliterates her with two strong zeros to retain. Um, and then we had... The post-match. Chris, do you want to talk to me about the post-match? Well, very quick, I'd like to mention the um, hope spot from Dahlia. Got the crowd quite into it. Dahlia Black was surprising me over. Um, she was. Fair, because she, she was chucked out the country. Well, not ch- She had to sort out her visa, like her and TK Cooper. So that's sort of what got Travis Banks over, was the fact his friends had to go. So people felt sorry for him. <laughs> right, okay. So, like, and now they're back, but TK Kubi's injured, which is a shame. But, yeah, and also I'm the German at the end where Dali just lands on her fucking head. Yeah, there's... Ugh, I hate stuff like that. I just... I can't... I can't yeah, not nice. I, I think it's because we're New Japan fans and just any trauma to the head after Shibata. It's just like, no. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, So, yeah, we, we had this match. It finished. And then post-match, we set up another angle. Yeah, Ginny came out to attack Dahlia because they were best mates, and they're no longer best mates. And Ginny, as the crowd was chanting, is a cunt. Yes, yeah, some really, really yeah. inventive chanting from the Ali Pali yeah. crowd. Yeah, that was the Jimmy Havoc one, but Jimmy Havoc trained Ginny, so. Oh, well, there you go then. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they, she took out Dahlia's injured leg. She'd previously broken her leg, apparently. Um, and then, yeah. That was that was pretty much it. Apparently, Ginny was annoyed because Dahlia had taken the title, despite the despite the fact that she'd lost three separate matches to get her a chance at this title. She's she's a very that's what I'm saying about uh, when we were doing the NXT UK stuff. She's not a fashion eater. She's just entitled. 
and when we did the NXT UK stuff, I said to you like I can I can't get behind it because the fashionita stuff just isn't enough, or no, you know, like, it's not a thing. In, it's skin deep. In progress, she's like just an entitled rich kid, which works a lot better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's a far better gimmick. Um, I'd give this seven. I gave it seven. I honestly, I think it could go another five minutes. Tony could have got an eight of Dahlia. Are you surprised how little time it took up? Yeah, because Progress really likes their women's division. They do. Say that. For the like, the last three champions, three out of the four champions have been part timers. Right. Like Tony, Tony turned into a part timer um, once she got more involved with WWE. Um, then there was um, Ginny won it, who was full time, but then Jordan Grace ran it, who of course has a lot of commitments in America, and now Miko Satamora has it. Mm. So yeah. it's a lot. It's not part time. It's quite a lot, but because of how Progress runs their shows, that kind of works. I was just going to say it's not a weekly thing, so it doesn't particularly matter if it's on a part timer. To be honest, no, but like even like Jordan Grace only. Defended it in progress once in her six-month reign. So, yeah, that's not great, is it? No, well, twice actually, but that's still not great. No, not in six months. That's Brock Lesnar levels. Yeah, no, she defended it a lot, just not in progress. So, Chris, we're now back on Jim Smallman. Watch. What oh, he happened? Mean, he he basically just said thank, um, appreciate both people in the ring, and moves on to the Zack Saber Junior Open Challenge. Which is actually now somewhat a tradition in for Ali Pali show, um, September Ali Pali shows, because Pete Dunne had a um, open challenge at the last one. And who answered that? Karen Noir. Oh. Didn't he want Josh Bodum? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was like, because um, we didn't announce it beforehand, probably because um, who's going to answer Pete Dunne's challenge is a bigger draw than Pete Dunne versus this um, hot new up-and-comer. This ballet. But, but then um, on Twitter, they were like, when's we going to find out in the ring? And he just went, oh, I want it to be Bodum. <laughs> oh, God, that would be brutal. That would be absolutely I, brutal. I, I want to see this Bodum left for five minutes in the ring with Walter. Oh, God. My arse literally clenched for Bodum then. Of Timothy Thatcher. I've got a question about Timothy Thatcher, which we'll get to later on in the show. Right. But um, you mentioned Zack Sabre Open Challenge. Yes, Zack Sabre Jr. Um, has his Open Challenge, and it's answered by Party Marty. Obviously, oh, he's not Party Marty at this point. I he is the villain. Because you hadn't seen it yet, and it's like, one gaff has ruined the surprise. No. <laughs> no, I had seen it at that point. Don't worry. Oh, right. I was also like, don't make him think Party Marty was a thing now. Because Party, because fuck's sake, because Marty was in the Bullet Club at this point. Yes, he was. And he got an absolutely astronomical pop. Yeah, he's because the Bullet Club are the hottest we've ever been at this point. Because thanks to Kenny Omega. Yeah, that's, I, I was thinking this throughout the whole show. It's like, wow, 2017 was just the best year of wrestling, wasn't it? It, it certainly got a little bit more mainstream crossover than it had had before. Um, and I think, yeah, Kenny Omega probably had a massive thing to do with that. Um, but this match, Zack Sabre Jr. does defeat his ta- old tag team partner, Marty Skrull, at 40, 14 minutes and 42 seconds after he reversed a chicken wing into a pin. Um <sighs> I was a little bit disappointed in this. Any reason? Um, 
I love. I mean, you you you've seen me do New Japan stuff. You know how much I love Zack Saber Junior. And you know we talked all the time about Best of Super Juniors, and I'm a massive Marty Skrull fan as well. I don't know what it was about this match. I don't know whether it just. My favourite Zack Sabre Jr. matches are the one where, with his quick reversals, him turning literally anything into these wonderful holds. And Mm. for me, the pace of this match was quite slow. And I know that you've got Marty, who does a lot of crowd participation spots, and, you know, it's his first time in progress in, you know, what is it, eight months, something like that. So he, you know, he's loving the crowd and things like that. But... I don't know, it just it seemed quite slow. And I was surprised when I was typing up my notes that this match only went 40 minutes because it felt about 20. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it, but also it's definite, and especially with my progress matches, I'd say it's their weakest um, compared to like Super Strong Style and then Chapter 1. I mean, um, do not get me wrong, I am not saying this is a bad match. It is I not a bad really match. Good. Like, on most cards, this could be argument for match of the night. Yes, I'd say so. I'd say so. But you've got, you know, you look again at the card for this show and you think, ah, it's, it's, it's nowhere near. Um, I think what you slightly need to remember is that both men have either New, have New Japan or Ring of Honor commitments. So they can't go balls to the wall. Yeah, but these two aren't balls to the wall type of wrestlers. Especially Marty. Especially Marty. But, you know, put him in the I ring with the right so- opponent and he will give you... And I thought Sabre would have been that opponent. They've got the history to well, create a good we match. We don't like to repeat spots, and I think that might be it. I think we just rattled so much at this point that we couldn't come up with much new. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, fair enough. I mean, for me, I didn't make a lot of notes because it was very much standard Sabre, standard Marty, but... At a slower pace, and the slower pace really took me out of this match. I, I think I think I'm more forgiving to it than you are. Well, what did you think of it? I really liked it. I liked um, the saber being trapped in the um, ring apron spot. I liked how both of them sort of subverted the other one's standard spots. I liked how at the end, um, Marty calling Chicken Wing is basically what cost him the match. Hmm. I also quite enjoyed the crowd in this match. Go on, what did you enjoy about the crowd in this match? They were just so fucking loud. (laughs) They were, and that is something that, you know... The only thing is, with like a a Sabre and a Marty match, the size of the venue, you know, you've got very, very... Not necessarily subtle exchanges, but a lot of... Well, yeah, let's go with subtle subtle exchanges, submission-based exchanges... Is that not lost on a massive venue like that? I mean, I know it's not lost at the Tokyo Dome when Sabre battled Ishii, but you haven't got two submission-based wrestlers there. I think, well, I think in, like, an arena with a screens, maybe not. But, like, with Nani Pali, where it's basically just a massive a massive warehouse, yeah, I think that could possibly be the case. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it was a good match. I had no issues with it. Something. No, I had no issue. I actually really enjoyed it. I'd give it an 8, to be honest. Well, I give it a six, which means we average it out as a seven. I think that's fair. Fair. Um, um, there's a Marty promo afterwards. There was a Marty promo afterwards, but not before we saw Zack Saber Junior plant a kiss on Marty's girl, and that just warmed my cockles. I do. I do. These two do have a great relationship. Like they were never like blood 
um, blood feuding, which I kind of like, despite the fact we went in very different directions. Um, last time these two were together was at unboxing. Do you know what unboxing is? You have you've explained the concept of unboxing to me before. Yes. All right. So for those who don't know, it's basically an unannounced card around Christmas time. Like it's sometimes before, sometimes after Christmas, and. Um, the whole the whole thing's an announcement. There's a bunch of surprises. Like, um, for example, first year I watched, Will Ospreay turned up to take on Travis Banks, and Jack Gallagher turned up to take on Pete Dunn. Um, and this year, um, there were some great ones. We got a surprise, not this year, like the year of this show. Um, we got a surprise Havoc versus Osprey match, which is always amazing. And also, um, there was a tr- the, the tag team titles were vacant because Pete Dunn and Seven were the champions, and Dunn tried to give his championship to Bay, and so they got stripped. Um, so there was a triple threat tag match. It looked like it was just going to be the London Riots versus um, British Strong Style, but then Marty comes out and brings the box out. So it was literally an unboxing, and Zack Sabre Jr. was in the box. <laughs> That's amazing. If you look at look up on progress, like after this, I'll send you the link. I um just on progress of YouTube channel. What's in the box? Chapter forty four spoilers, and it's just it's the best. I'll have to watch it. I'll have to watch it. Um, we then go on. Do you want to talk about Marty's promo? Well, you're basically going. Um, I have a lot of history here. Um, I've been here since chapter one. Um, but I'm not going to be here for a while, and it's true because he hasn't wrestled in progress since. Wow. So this really was his last to this date. His last progress match, yeah. Right, okay. He's been off on Ring of Honor. Because Take... also, he's dating um, Diana Parada, so it's all like his whole life right now is in America. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Jim Smallman watch? Um, he says in for the next match for the front like five rows in the splash zone. Good stuff. And by splash, he means so much blood. Fucking blood, Jesus Christ! Even for Jimmy Havoc standards. Um, yeah, we obviously had the death match now uh, with Jimmy Havoc defeating frenemy Mark Haskins at twenty-three minutes and twelve seconds. With Haskins, what? Um, with... Say, say again. Haskins, no, Havoc did a lot of death matches this year. He did. He did. He was in um, as a quick rundown. I actually, have him here. He was in Tournament of Death and won. Um, and then turned up in ICW to start the King of Insanity tradition. Where basically a group of people will have a death match at the ICW's Fear and Loathing show, which is basically their big WrestleMania. And I see it means I've seen the Jimmy Havoc death match live, and it's not. It's I was quite far back, but it's still not pleasant. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, this went fucking long. This is quite a long match. Yeah. Um, the the video package I spoke earlier on in the podcast about how. The video packages really led into this mat into match, and this was no exception. This it really helped me to get into the feud between Mark Askins and Jimmy Havoc. My only issue was, and tell me if I'm wrong, we watched Double or Nothing. No, sorry, All Out recently. Yes, with the Jimmy Havoc triple threat. Yeah, which had almost all of the same spots. Okay, Havoc does repeat. Like the staple gun and the paper cut, they're basically standard Jimmy Havoc spots. Right, okay, in that case, I withdraw my point. 
Yeah, he's did he does them everywhere. Like he even does them in normal matches. He did it in a match against Christopher Daniels I saw in Edinburgh, and that wasn't even a fucking death match. Fair enough. Uh, first thing I want to ask ask you about Chris regarding this match: the mystery box. Yes, but also we haven't actually covered the story that led into this match. Oh yes, Chris, I'm sorry. Story, please. <laughs> uh, okay, so basically, Jimmy Havoc since around unboxing has been trying to create an army to stop British strong style. Okay. So he tried to recruit Will Ospreay and Paul Robinson. Didn't work. They turned on him. Um, they turned him straight away. It wasn't like even like they pretended. Will Ospreay's just a cunt in progress nowadays. But then um, Havoc recruited um, Progress Original and former champion Mark Haskins from the Alliance. Like a ropey alliance, but an alliance nonetheless. So there was a series of miscommunications. Haskins got hit by a chair. Um, they kept basically kept accidentally um, crossing each other matches. And then Haskins snapped when Jimmy Havoc put his hands on Vicky Haskins, who looks very different in this video package because she's wearing like normal clothes. <laughs> <laughs> like she's wearing clothes you would actually just wear if you're escorting your husband to work or something, not. Fucking, I am a demon lady. I'm going to lick this barbed wire hair. Was that, sorry, was that you licking barbed wire? Well, no, because I didn't go out, but... Eh. Eh, eh! Shit! Uh, anyway, carry on. And that's how Chris lost his tongue. <laughs> and but anyway, it really, what, what I love, it, so they fell apart, but like they were trying to reconcile after... Jimmy Havoc put his hands on Mark Haskins' wife. So they were talking with Flash Morgan Webster, as you do. And um, I just sort of love how Flash Morgan Webster was just sort of like, I'm just going to let these two fucking talk. And um, Haskins was like, I haven't been able to get back my progress title. And Jimmy Havoc was like, yeah, well, fucking, you didn't you, you didn't lose it. You just gave it up. They took progress for, for tooth and nail to give that thing off me. Which, to be fair, they did. They put, like, Mastiff and Rampage in the same ring and was like, get him. So... <laughs> Is there anything and else then, we need to know? Well, Haskins wants to beat Havoc as his own game because he really hates Havoc now. But, yeah, that's basically all you need to know. Right. The mystery box, Chris. <laughs> I need <laughs> this answered. Okay. So, partway through the match, and we are sort of flitting, because this is a spot fest, so we're literally just going to flit from spot to spot to spot. Um, Haskins goes under the ring and pulls out a mystery box, and the commentary team build this, you know, mystery box as this big thing. And in it, it's got two things. It's got a Nerf gun and a big plastic dinosaur. I actually do know the backstory. Please tell me the backstory. So Mark Haskins has a family. And that family involves a young boy. And His young boy. Um, <laughs> Not just one he's picked up off the street. No, just Be one, my I'm son. Just, it's like, you're my son now, boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mommy! Um, basically how I got recruited to Podmania. But... <laughs> so, um, for a mini-progress documentary, we were following Haskins, and Haskins took the... Um, Haskins and his son go up the hill for walks. And like I, I, it's a hill near the house, not just like the hill of Britain. Yeah. But so he walks up and he's doing the interview as son plays behind him, and it was like, "What do you think?" Um, I'd forget his name, boy. And Jack. He's, and he's like, um, 
I just like to chill up here and shoot dinosaurs. Uh, well, that makes more sense now. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't really make sense as to why Havoc sold it. I ha- almost. It, 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 Haskins hit him in the face with this dinosaur, and he covered him for a two-count, Chris. Dinosaurs really hard. No, not for a two-count, Chris. <laughs> I, I, I find it funny. It, what do you hate more, the dinosaur or the Lego is fun pack spot? Oh, I mean, um, because these two would do this later in the do that later in the year. I mean, the thumbtack spot was fucking brutal. Oh, the yeah, repeated we'll on one as well. Oh, we'll get on to that. Um, they brought into the crowd, which is bad because you couldn't see half of it when they brought into the crowd, and then Vicky Haskins appeared out of fucking nowhere. Like, in the crowd, and it's sort of like, surely you should be backstage looking after your children. Yeah, you you would assume so, yes. Actually, you would assume that he wouldn't bring his family to see you in a death match. Has he not seen Beyond the Mat? Especially as the first couple of spots were literally people having shit stapled to their heads. Oh, yeah, like, and thing is, you can, I used to always think that when Jimmy Havoc did that was fake, you can see the staple marks in his fucking forehead. And I was like, oh my god, it's fucking real. I always assumed it was fake. Always. But then, like, did you see the staple mark yes. in the side of his head? Oh yeah, 100%. So, Jesus fuck, it's actually real. I, why the fuck? Why don't you just use a post-it or something? What the fuck? <laughs> why don't you just use a post-it? Can you imagine hitting someone with a post-it and then trying to cover them? Right, okay. It's fake. You'd still have a staple, there'd just be no fucking staples in it, and it just sticks to their head, and then you can pull it off, blood capsule or whatever. It can it can work. You don't need to staple fucking someone's foot. When you give your... I don't know, um, children are allowed to use staplers. They were back in my day. Back in your day, like you're old. Um, No, no, we're not. No, they don't use staplers anymore. We, they taught us how to use staplers in primary one. I mean, I, I, I remember stapling my hand when I was a kid. I mean, I stapled my brother. What, Jimmy Havoc style? Yeah, well, on the arm, not the head. To be fair, he stabbed me with a compass. So you had your own death match, is basically what happened? That's basically what happened every every weekday, four o'clock, we both get home from school. Fair <laughs> enough. You, huge fight. Um, so, eventually we get up to the stage and there's a Death Valley driver through a table, which is weirdly, which would end most matches. But I like how Haskins sort of just fireman carries um havoc back i don't know i mean you talked about that spot and that happened within 10 minutes yeah and this match went what 25 24 minutes and 23 minutes and 12 seconds it went and to be fair about two minutes of it was just then getting back to the ring we haven't even mentioned the axe Oh, the axe. Well, get to the axe. Um, so we get back to, and then um, there was a kick. They got cinder blocks, and then they hit the, they hit things with the cinder blocks to make make clear that it isn't styrofoam. And the commentators went, "See, it's not styrofoam." I'm like, I understand it is probably real cinder block or whatever, but now you're just making me think it's styrofoam. My favorite bit of that was when Haskins is setting up the two steel chairs, puts the cinder blocks on, and one breaks in half. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just they, falls off. I mean, do you want them to use non-gimmick c- cinder blocks? Because Jimmy Havoc will. <laughs> I know he will. He's an absolute psychopath. Um, 
Havoc then takes the wrists of Haskins. Yes, he does. Yes, he and, does. Like I, at this point, I was really into this. I was like, "Shit, this is old school Jimmy Havoc. This is wrestled to get the title off of him, Jimmy Havoc. This is almost cut off Will Ospreay's ear." Do you know the story behind that? I don't, uh, but instantly want to hear it. All right, so like, I, it's not like it was an accident. Literally, it was it was like um, what's that film? Reservoir Dogs. Oh yes. So he was doing a spot like that. He tied Will Ospreay to a chair. This is for Will Ospreay was the biggest thing in wrestling and was going to cut off his ear. And Jimmy Havoc just kept going all day. You better hope Mark Andrews and um, Eddie Dennis make the save, otherwise I am going to have to cut your ear off. And Will Ospreay thought he was being serious. God. I, would, I just wouldn't fuck with Havoc. He scares a living no, shit army. He is very scary. That's the thing, he's tiny. He's like Garth's height, but you're built. But he carries round fucking thumbtacks and axes. It's like that Dean Ambrose interview is like, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to wrestle you, but I'll fucking stab you. <laughs> um, paper cut spots, including the house, and blood pulled out the fucking mouth of, of Haskins. Haskins sells it brilliantly. Is, was that a blood capsule, or was it just blood mixture spit? I think, I think it was a blood capsule. Uh, I, I actually genuinely hope so, because imagine getting paper cut on your... I mean, like, my mouth is in agony when I eat an ice pole too fast. Um, Vicky Haskins sets her husband free. Vicky demands Haskins to put the chair down and produces a barbed wire baseball bat. This is the genesis of current day Vicky Haskins. Now, this is where the match should have ended. But it didn't. It but still it carried here, on. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have seen Chris Roberts get punched in the face. No, in fairness, big up Vicky Haskins for the punch she gave to uh, Chris Roberts. I think that's real, to be fair. Say again. I think that might have been real. Chris Roberts got abused by wrestlers in progress. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I love, um, he returned, actually, because he left progress at the end of last year, um, because he's now with NXT UK and was doing stuff in New Japan. So, like, he somehow moves up in the referee world. I didn't know that was fucking possible. Um, but now, at least he's not coming across Charles Samuels and Josh Bowden. But now, um, he returns in the Progress Rumble for the Proteus Championship and stunners everyone. Nice. It was great. <laughs> we get the thumbtacks, Chris, now. Yes, we do. Actually, no, first we got an armbar with the fucking bat. We did. We did get an armbar with the bat. Um, disgusting. At this point... I mean, I know it's a Havoc death match, but it had gone that long at this point and there'd been yeah. so many false finishes that I was just like, I was I was gone at this point. Because, I mean, an acid rainmaker onto a bunch of thumbtacks didn't win the match. No, I, I, I think it's because I'm more used to Jimmy than you because you've... I've, because I've seen this sort of shit live, I'm just used to the excess of Jimmy Havoc, so I'm more willing to go along with it. Excess like, is if it's fine. If the first time seeing Havoc, I'd probably be reflecting your views, so I'm not saying they're wrong views. I'm just more used to it. No, I'm, I'm not saying that it was a bad match. Again, there are no bad matches on this card at all. It's a fantastic card. And... I don't think there's anything below a 7 on this card. No, I agree, and I gave this a 7. Um, but... I don't know, for me, and something that really did take me out of it was that after having been power slammed to fuck 
on the thumbtacks, Haskins was put away with the shittest barbed wire acid rainmaker in the world. It looks yeah, dreadful. I don't think the camera angle helped that either. Which to be, but to be fair, there's not much you can do about spot without actually killing Haskins, but also don't do the spot then. Exactly. I, I think you're but, 100% right. I don't think the camera angle was right for that spot at all. I, I, I do think that we did skip over one Thumbtack spot where Havoc literally put himself in the Thumbtacks to try and dropkick Haskins into the... Yes! I saw... Yes! I'm meant to mention that. Oh, God. That 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 was a good storytelling. He's like, okay, I'm going to fuck myself. We're going to fuck you more. But then it didn't end up fucking him. So it's like, oh, no. <laughs> I do like how they put over that Haskins has no reason to be upset because Jimmy Havoc is the king of the fucking deathmatch. Yeah, that is a good point. I don't really understand... I mean, I know Haskins wanted to beat him at his own game, but seriously, man, Havoc Deathmatch, really? Do you think it's not as... It's, um, in ICW around the same time, Havoc was doing this thing. Um, he was basically sending out invitations to be take part in the King of Insanity, who was... I'm not sure how many of these people you're familiar with, but it's Chris Renfrew, um, Stevie Boy, and who was the other one? Shit. Um... Chris Renfrew, Stevie Boy, Jimmy Havoc, and Mikey Whiplash. Are you familiar with all those people? Um, I know of them. Haven't seen any of their work. Right, so basically Chris Renfrew is a nutter, Stevie Boy is a um, med, and um, Mikey Whiplash is a demon. So, um, (laughs) Stevie Boy didn't want to do it because he was scared of um, Jimmy Havoc and Mikey Whiplash, so we basically just get beaten in the fuck up until Stevie Boy... And they were doing like psychiatric evaluations going into the match, and Steve was like, "Hey, I'm the victim here. All right, I fucking... anyway. It was fun. I I saw I saw too many death matches live this year. It was a bit disgusting. Actually, W went a bit overboard. Anyway, um, I I loved this match. I I kind of enjoyed the yes, despite the fact it did have a lot of high spots. It still escalated. Mm. No. I... I don't know. What did you give it? I gave it a nine. I gave it a seven, which means it averages out as an eight. Yeah, we'll average out as an eight. We're not really taking Garth stuff into... (laughs) If he wanted his opinion to be heard, he'd be here. Uh, Yeah, Garth, get your dick out of the blender. Having a family and having to find a perspective to please your wife. We're really lucky he's not going to listen to this. Yes, that's a good point. He's not going to listen to this and definitely not going to listen to it 53 minutes in. So Um, that was... Part one of the, the progress show. By the way, do you want to know what these two? Pardon? Because, not, no kidding, two chapters after this when I started watching, they were a tag team. What, Haskins and Havoc? Because Havoc. Havoc, Havoc was basically still trying to um, take bring back the old progress, like bring it back to how it was, and, ha- and, and Haskins had gained his respect. They were a decent um, tag team, actually. Right, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, the, first, the first thing I saw, it was these two versus Jack Sexsmith and Matt Riddle. And I saw that, I was like, all right, I'm hooked in progress, I guess. <laughs> oh, Jack Sexsmith. Oh, my God, Jack Sexsmith. We'll, we'll get on to him. Um, um, so, Jim Smallman watch. watch. Um, in the crowd, there was a Nakamura cosplayer. Fair enough. Um, a Necro Butcher cosplayer, which to be fair isn't hard. Just grow your hair, don't wash it for three days, and wear a Cheese Death t shirt and you look like Necro Butcher. Um, 
And also a mankind one. And a mankind one probably looked like like he got Foley chance. He probably looked like mankind. Oh no, I saw. I did see the mankind one, but didn't know him because obviously I was skipping it. Uh, didn't see the context in it. I did see the mankind one though. But then they had a little announcement. Go on. But the next year, they would be running a show at Wembley. And the pop that happened when they said they're running Wembley was unbelievable. Like, the crowd just instantly went, oh, fuck, we're, I guess we're all going to Wembley. Oh, my God, with Wembley. Believe it or not, Rob, I'm going to give you a little bit of um, Brett, um, Brett Rez smackdom history here. This sort of made ICW hate progress. Well, ICW fans hate progress, slash ICW commentators. Go on. Because um, um, ICW, as you know, run for three years around their big show, Fear and Loving, at the Hydra in um, Glasgow. And the first one, um, Fear and Loving 9, is, the big- is legitimately the biggest drawing independent um, wrestling show in Europe in, I believe, 20 years or something. Like, years and years back would have been the last one. And so it was 6,000 people. And then... Progress started going, well, we have the biggest drawing one in England to sort of promote Wembley. And ICW fans heard that as Britain and got annoyed at them. Right. To be fair, ICW are not known for being particularly nice towards companies bigger than them, like WCPW. Or like even around the same time, like WCPW would get relentlessly um, destroyed on um, ICW TV. Like, um, Joe Hendry actually brought out the WCPW Championship to get heat, but they blurred it out. Wow. Yeah, ICW, I think they're so sort of canny, and it's sort of like, if you worked together better, people would be more likely to book Scottish talent. I think progress isn't... I'm trying to think of the show. I don't think there's any Scottish talent on the show. Walter. Uh, not Walter, sorry. Wolfgang. Wolfgang. Well, okay, yeah, yeah, but... I meant wrestling on the show and you just what happened after this next match, thanks. But <laughs> God, anybody listening to this will have already seen progress. Yeah, very true, very true. Um but yeah, like I can think off the top of my head, Wolfgang, Joe Coffey, Kenny Williams and Noam Dar, that's the only Scottish talent I can think who got booked on a semi regular basis. And honestly I think how sort of annoying ICW can be didn't help. But... Too fair, I love ICW wrestlers and shit. But anyway, yeah, ICW fans don't like progress because of it. Fair enough. Should we move on to part two? Yeah, let's move on to part two. Oh, Christ, this next match, I was so excited. The match that Chris is referencing is the Progress Atlas Championship match where Walter defeated Timothy Thatcher and Matt Riddle, the champion, at 12 minutes and 48 seconds with the sit-out pile driver. This was my first sort of viewing of Timothy Thatcher, Chris. Yeah. And why was he in this match? Um, But I actually don't know. I don't know the build-up to this. I think basically both him and Walter had an equal stake at the Atlas title, but we didn't want to sort of blow the Walter-Thatcher match on um, a number one contender's gig. So we just booked a triple threat and of uh, necessity, basically. I think this is one of the few times Progress booked themselves into a corner. The only reason I ask is because, usually in a triple threat, there's one person who is there to take the fall, and it seemed that if Timothy Thatcher was in that match, and, you know, Walter was obviously going to win this championship okay. from Riddle... 
I have an explanation there. So you know how in TNA, when when they were teasing Remote Sim Machine Guns becoming a tag team, they put them in multi-man matches so that neither of them would have to pin each other? Yeah, sort of. It's kind of like that, where they don't want to answer who's better between Walter and Thatcher, because that's a match down the line. Whereas Walter and Riddle have already traded wins, so one of them can pin the other, and it's not a massive stock loss for either. Fair enough. Um, yeah, in fact, most of Thatcher would go on to have an amazing match. Um, a few um, about six months later in the new year, and it was absolutely amazing. So you will have to point me in the way of that match because it's all, it's all on demand, so you'd have to pay six quid to see it. I'll oh. nick my login, which is more likely. <laughs> that's that's probably what's going to happen. This anyway, was um, Suplex you... Fucking City. You know the rules behind the Atlas Championship. Um, is it sort of? I was under the impression that it was a weight-based championship. It is, 205 pounds and above, which in current wrestling um, climate, where it's basically just weight only matters for cruiserweights, and then after that, just fight whoever the fuck you want. I kind of like that. I kind of like there's a dedicated Huss championship, basically. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Sorry, I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say some more stuff. <laughs> oh, um, it's, not much, it's just basically the big last championship. Some great champions like Rampage Brown, Doug Williams, Trent Seven. Um, Walter was their last champion. He unified it. Great championship. I miss it. I miss it a lot. Joe Coffey fought through it a lot. Never won it. Poor Joe Coffey. Anyway, go on. <laughs> uh, like I said, suplex fucking city this, ma- this match. Fucking hell. We had chops. We had suplexes. We had running knees. It was brutal. I enjoyed the standoff between Tim Thatcher and Walter, who obviously both of them representing Ring Camp. Um, there's they just- should- like shit off each other. Yeah, they sort of looked at each other, gave each other a nod of respect, and then proceeded to absolutely destroy the fucking shit out of one another. Now, Matt Riddle is a very different from these two. You know, I was like, I was talking to my friend actually, but I was like, okay, I was watching the progress. I was talking to my friend Jen, and I was like, look, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to fine with wrestling stuff, but then sent a picture of Matt Riddle. This is Matt Riddle. This is Timothy Thatcher. This is Walter. This is basically a dude bro versus Europe. Well, what I didn't understand... Well, not what I didn't understand was, there's not often where Matt Riddle is the underdog in a match. No, and you know what I love? He just sort of looked at them when he walked into the ring. It's like, these two massive men, it's like, this mass is sacred. We have learned the fundamentals to the point where the fundamentals are deadly. You, we enough, there's no humor to be found in professional wrestling. Hands behind their back, scowls on their faces, and Matt Riddle just walks in and goes, "Hey guys, hey bros, let's have a great match, guys! Right, bro, cool, bro!" and kicks his flip flops off. Hey guys, it's but you know you know what it's like. It's like when you and Garth talk about films, and then I'm like, "Hey guys, so have you seen Endgame? <laughs> have you seen Peppa Pig? Um... Right." Uh. <laughs> I'm I mean, not that young. You are, mate. You are that young. You are a I, fetus. I can, I can legally drink. Mm. Mm. Both here and America. There I is no think Riddle, I can't moving on from your drinking habits, I think Riddle realised he was fucked at this point when yeah, no, he <laughs> hit the KO knee and Walter fucking no-sold it. Completely. Oh. Oh, it's amazing. It's like, Brad Riddle's face was amazing in that one. I think it was at that point that he was like, the, oh, oh, shit. The, tr- um, 
the triple and to be like, Walter's chops here were more brutal than you see on NXT UK but it sounded like an actual gunshot they did there was one he gave to Timothy Thatcher and I thought well that's it his, his ribcage has exploded that's it he's dead do you think that's bad to see their solo match or Walter's match with PCO oh god I don't want to watch a PCO versus Walter match good grief PCO's chest literally looked like bacon afterwards <laughs> anyway in a slightly less disgusting turn of events Triple German suplex. Is this the one where Riddle ends up flying across the ring and landing on his head? Yeah, because they were going to try to do it to Walter. And then I was like, Walter's like, just in a very Walter way, I was like, nope, just walked around and did it. Honestly, watching Riddle land on his head is one of the most harrowing experiences I think I've ever watched because I thought he died. I know, that's, that's how good this match was. You sort of got lost, not um, thinking these three were going to die, despite the fact, no, we don't. They're, they're fine. Well, may, maybe not Riddle. Goldberg wants to kill him. But, you know, for the most part, they're fine. Um, it's made me want to watch more Timothy Thatcher because, you know, the exchanges between Thatcher and Walter were excellent. Um, but Thatcher is a wrestling genius. Like He's a proper like, grapple genius. Which is what I want to see. Which is what I want to see. Unfortunately, he didn't figure much into this match. It was very much a Walter and Riddle match with a little bit of Thatcher sprinkled in. <laughs> but how context? That sounds bad. Like a little bit of Thatcher. A little bit of Thatcher. Like, oh. <laughs> um. No one. Um. I like how um. So Riddle Riddle like kept up straight away from a Walter power driver, and then just got its head lariated off. Yes. Yes, he did. Um. Riddle was the source for much abuse at the hands of Ring Camp in this match. To be fair. You look at the size of him, I'm not surprised. Yeah, you're not gonna win. I don't I like I don't think anyone's gonna like beat Walter and Thatcher when when we're in the ring together. No, I don't I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um The match ended with Walter hitting the sit out pile driver. Was this always gonna happen or what, Walter winning? Probably. I mean, Riddle can't fully commit to progress, really. He, he's sort of, he was very much the hottest thing in independent wrestling at that time. And Thatcher wasn't quite ready. Like, Walter is sort of a, he, he's a safe bet for the Atlas division. Not for his opponent's chest, but like, he's going to draw. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Were you going to add something else about this match before I ended it? Oh, Walter's chops made me want to cry. <laughs> I think that's just a staple of Walter matches, but yeah, you're right. This there was some particularly aggressive ones. No, you think that's bad? We had a match. Um, it was at Snowgrass, actually. I you well know what Snowgrass is. Basically, we had a show in Sheffield, and it was during a snowstorm, so a lot of talent had to cancel. So we put to, we scrambled together a card and called it Snowgrass. Um, and it was him, Walter versus Mark Davis of Aussie Open. And oh, Mark Davis's chest. Ow. Fucking hell. Jesus Christ. No thank you. Anyway, then Rob, we had a debut. We did have a debut. Would you like to explain yeah. it as I've already ruined it? Um, so we heard a wolf we heard a wolf, and it's like, oh my god, in British wrestling we hear a wolf. Who the fuck could that be? Um Wolfgang comes out to um run on um most famously sang by Johnny Cash and to be fair what a song good song like it's, it's he actually looks intimidating coming out to that song yeah I'd argue he's far more intimidating here than he is on NXT UK 
Oh no, because in NXT UK, Joe Coffey's bitch. <laughs> they both are. It's such a, it's such a shame because Wolfie is actually amazing. He was ICW champion this year. Had a great feud with Trent Seven um, for the title. It was great. He, Wolfie's just great. He's so underutilized. But yeah, came out because like so many British wrestlers, but like, who's your favorite opponent? It's like Wolfgang, great. But so Wolfie comes out and just does his entrance, but he doesn't take his eyes off Walter the whole time. Like the whole time they're putting on, it's like ICW champion, ICW G champion, and it's like it doesn't really matter because like, even though it's a progress crowd, they still cheered for Wolfie. They did. Big pop, it wasn't to like be fair. a Marty. It wasn't big. It wasn't like a Marty skill pop, but it still clipped the mic. So yeah, I, I, I was just very happy at the time to see ICW talent in progress. Yeah, because ICW, I I followed ICW before I followed Progress. So like ICW talent was sort of a good anchor. So you know, sort of like how when you get into New Japan, AJ Styles, well maybe not for you, um, someone was a good anchor for you to get into New Japan. It was sort of like that with. Yeah. I know him, so I can support him until I these other guys have gotten over. So it was great. I I recall their match being good. I can't remember it though. No, I assume Wolf, I assume Wolfgang didn't win it. No, he didn't. Um, Walter would hold that Atlas Championship for quite a long. Actually, he would hold it until um, he he gave it up after he beat. Oh no, he got beaten by Doug Williams. Something happened, but he was Atlas Championship when champion when he was feuding with Travis Banks for next year. Fair play. To be fair, who the fuck beats Walter? No, no one beats Walter. Exactly. Anyway, Smallman Watch. Hang on. Um... No, 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 no. Don't you jump the gun on that Smallman Watch. <laughs> you fucking stop. Sit down. Take a pill. Take a pill. Take a chill pill. What are you giving the match, Chris? Oh, nine. I'd give it eight, but I'm willing to sacrifice a nine. Because honestly, is this is it's sort of like the 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 pace that was kept up between these three men for the size that they are. It made me want to see a Walter Timothy Thatcher match. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it was a satisfying match while making you want to see more. That's literally its job. Also, um, the fact that it was never descended into just sort of singles. They each had a single spot. There wasn't like someone selling for a stupid amount of time. No. Um, like it was a triple threat through and through. Garth gave it a seven. He can fuck off. <laughs> uh, small one watch, Chris. Oh, um, so Smallman asked people to raise their hands if he had phantom pains in their chest after that match. And everyone <laughs> in Ali Pali rose, raised their hands. Brilliant. Um, oh, God, this next match. We had a number one contendership scramble for the Progress Championship with Mark Andrews defeating Chief Deputy Dunn, Eddie Dennis, Jack Sexsmith, James Drake, Flash Morgan Webster, Strangler Davis, and Zach Gibson at 13-14 with Mark Andrews pinning Flash Morgan Webster with the SSP. All of the questions. Okay, ask, ask away. But first of all, Mark Andrews somehow coming out to a worse junior song. Oh, God, that junior song was shit. It's so bad. At, at least his NXT like... UK one is fucking catchy. Yeah, at least at least he has a little... Yeah, we, we waved our hands at TakeOver. He... he... He's fun. It's at least a little bit of fun. 
This is just a shit pop punk song. Yes, it is. It is. About a house that's not quite home, which is a really bad name for a wrestling song. It is. It, it God. Just God. Anyway, questions. What are your questions? Right. Jack Sexsmith. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Cocker. Right. Okay. So, he wants the kids to be safe. An admirable wish. And to be fair, those they, the, the two cockles look quite durable. They look quite thick. For those who are completely unaware of what we are talking about, um, think Mankind's Mr. Socko and, you know, a hilarious parody from Jack Sexsmith is to bring out two condoms and to shove them in the faces of, but I believe, the grizzled young veterans. It was in the face of GYV, yeah. By the way... Before before we go, because we can talk about Jack Sex before David, we need to talk about his Zach Gibson, Gibson drama. Zach Gibson, oh, honestly. He is, he is God's gift to promos. Give me grizzled young vets all day, every day. They are incredible. Like, but like, you thought they got booed at NXT UK shows. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, this put it to shame. He hands the mic to James Drake, and James Drake doesn't normally cut the promos. So, like, he doesn't he doesn't have the presence to do it. When it goes to um, Gibson, it's like, Hi, I'm Liverpool's! And it just goes off and on. And then starts walking through the crowd. People actually trying to fucking jump him because he's so fucking annoying. But and he's they, brilliant. He is absolutely brilliant. And he can do stuff that is objectively funny, but you still hate him. We talked like, earlier, um, Chris, about the heel. He is a heel. He's not a cool heel. He's a fucking just, heel. Do you see, like, I remember when you first, watched, we start, first started watching the UK stuff for podcasts, and you were like, I'm really scared we're going to miss you, James Drake. And, like, me knowing what Gibson got away with in progress, I'm like, I'm really scared about Gibson. Because Gibson got away with, gets away with so fucking much in progress is absolutely unbelievable and like he was just doing his standard run-of-the-mill promo yeah but people still absolutely despised him and it's not like um for example in defiant he was like i see a lot of people wear bullet club tops there's only two subscriptions on your on your bank statement the wwe network and pornhub (laughs) (laughs) he's just fucking great isn't he it's amazing. So I'm going to go over some of the other people because I know you know Mark Andrews and Eddie Dennis. Um, you don't know Strangler Davis. Uh, of all of the people in this match, the only person I didn't know was Strangler Davis. Right. Do you know who the London Riots are? I've heard of the tag team, the London Riots. Yes. Right. So they were um, they they started out as regular tag team, moved on to sort of like be Jimmy Havoc's muscle, but then like after that all disbanded. They started a decent tag team career going, but we're at the big show last year at Brixton. Then they broke up for reasons that are beyond me because this is before I started watching and Strangler Davis actually got a run. He's definitely the weakest person in this match. Can you agree? Oh, 100% yes. Yeah, because they were basically, they dressed like Kevin Steen, but they didn't have the stamina of Kevin Steen, which is bad because Kevin Steen didn't have a ton of stamina. Um, In this match, I'll be honest, the two weakest were obviously Chief Deputy Dunn and Strangler Davis, but... But Strangler Davis didn't even have a gimmick. That's what I mean. That's where I was going with it. Chief Deputy Dunn at least had a character and a gimmick and sort of shtick to do, whereas Strangler Davis was just a person who 
you know, we talked in the last match about how there's a triple threat, but none of them spent an inordinate amount of time on the outside. I only remember Strangler Davis being in the ring for about two minutes of this match. Believe it or not, Strangler Davis will be the next, I think, I think I'm right in saying he's the next person after um, the winner who was Andrews to get a title shot. He went into a proper feud with Travis Banks. Oh, dear. In, and after that, directly after that feud, it came out that Strangler Davis was making very inappropriate moves towards um, trainees. Oh, really? But then, there was a massive um, sexual misconduct scandal in the pro-res scene, like mostly with trainers. Like, places like pro-res that shit to happen, so like they were fine. Or like ICW, they don't let that shit happen, but like a lot smaller schools got hit. And Davis is one of those people. Ah. So, like, Davis has never been used again because pro wrestlers don't let that shit slide. And, like, rightfully so. Absolutely, 100%. I think that's a great stance to take. It's one of those things where Davis didn't even bother trying to deny it because he they probably definitely had receipts. That's just not okay. It, it makes me hate him. Not okay. It, to be fair, you hated him already because he's shit. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just trying yeah. to type Strangler Davis into Wikipedia and it came up with serial killers, so we'll stop that now. Yeah, um, probably <laughs> not the best thing. No. Like, I, I, I have an article somewhere I'll send it, but, but it basically derailed his career, and again, rightfully, his Twitter's on private now, so I can't even see what he's been up to, because he doesn't want people to know he exists anymore. This, in this, I don't have notes of this match, Rob. I just put moves occurred. Basically, um... oh, I have a quick blurb, blurb of some things I like. For example, Jack Smith with the Rainbow Streamers. I thought that was amazing. The Ugg um, Boots. Wanna, uh, the Ugg um, Yeah, Ugg Life. Um, Flash Morgan Revster being billed from a town called Malice. Outstanding. And then I love how his moveset is just sort of. They can't do it on WWE, and I understand why, but in progress, they don't. They care a lot less, so it's just how many mod references can we get? As opposed to like when Nigel McGuinness is reading the Wikipedia article for what a mod is. It's like, oh, it started in 1967 with the band The Who or whatever, and then he's like, um... <laughs> but, but, then it's like, there's Pinball Wizard, there's Eaton Rifles, which is his Destino. Yep. Um, there's, um... He used to come out to In The City, like a um, super strong style, but like the competitors have any song. So like Tyler Bate came up by um, to Sledgehammer by T- Peter Gabriel and Flash Morgan <laughs> came out uh, um, in the city. It was amazing. I love how he does the oi oi oi. FSU of um, Mandrews and Dennis coming out to the same song that would actually play into what happens later. Yep. Um, and then seriously, the booze for Gibson would deafening incredible this is before the smarky shit towards gibson started happening and people just hated him people just legitimately hated him like literally just hated him and you bet him growing a beard was the best thing he's ever done for himself because without a beard he does look like an absolute fucking knacker absolute fucking knacker brilliant (laughs) um this match basically sort of centred around grizzled young veterans working as a team and being fucking amazing. Oh, fucking some of the drop kicks James Drake throws. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like the one he did on Dexmith. 
Oh God, yeah. Was yeah, and to be fair, surprised for Jack Sexsmith had to retire because of concussion problems. Well, there was one when he was sat in the corner and he took a move, and I think it was a drop kick from Drake, and it was like fucking hell. The noise it made—it was like a water he's very, chop. He's also very good at like the dribble for selling. Like when he gets kicked, dribble will come down. Oh yeah, yeah, fair enough. He's, what do you think? Of, anyway, um, I'm going to take some of Jack Smith and make make you love him or hate him. So he's in, he was in a tag team with David Starr. Okay. And they call themselves Sexy Star. That's amazing. I love that. That's right. incredible. All right, so like, I literally have no like moves happened. Um, apart from at the end, the ending of this match, where Mark Andrews um, helped Eddie Dennis hit Eddie Dennis's move. I don't know what he fucking called it, but it's like Prince Davitt's reverse bloody Sunday mixed with an Emerald Slogan. Like, he lands like it's an Emerald Slogan. Um... It's actually a really cool move. I really like it. And then Andrews is like, Eddie, you go for the win. Jumps out the um, ring. And then um, seconds later when Webster knocks Dennis out of the ring, Andrews hits the shoot and start for the win. Yes. That's literally what happens. Um, Webster sort of yeah. teases turning on Andrews. Yeah. Webster was like, and then it's like, nah, we love each other. We're Welsh. That obviously means we love each other. Um, walks away. And then I love that fake out because it makes you think, okay, so Andrews gets his moment. Fucking no. In comes Eddie Dennis. Yeah. The big bastard. And he is a big bastard. Hits for, He's a big lanky bastard, but still a big bastard. Hits for, um, I'm going to call it the Dennis Flosion because I don't know the actual fucking name. And... Then this feud went on for a year, believe it or not, Rob. I remember you referencing this feud. Say that again? I remember you referencing this feud before. Uh, Yeah. um, It's because... All right, so basically, Eddie Dennis got injured not long after this, so we couldn't have their blow-off as soon as they wanted. So we had it next year at Wembley. That makes sense. So when Eddie Dennis was um, not fit enough to wrestle, but fit enough to, like coming in and out of the ring and cut promos. He'd just start fucking with Mark Andrews. Like, if Mark Andrews... Even if Mark Andrews' friend was in a match, he'd cost that friend a match. Yeah. And then Mark Andrews would keep going, Eddie, Eddie, you don't need to do this. And then, it makes um, Eddie Dennis my hero. He attacked Junior while they were playing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and he was like, they're not in this business. And then, like... Um, for the longest time, Eddie Dennis is going, um, it was like the Naito thing was like, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of having a match at Wembley. Why don't we have it on an attack show? Or a Fight Club Pro show? Or like just naming random promotions in London. And then eventually, you know what really snapped Mark Andrews? So like, keep up in, keep in mind, up until this point, um, Eddie Dennis has attacked him, attacked his friends, attacked his band, attacked his tour manager, not let um, cost Mark Andrews shots at t- titles, um, basically make Mark, make, made Mark Andrews um, life hell. If there was news, he would have leaked them. And then they got pulled apart. And then Eddie Dennis started cutting a promo. was like, you used your parents. Mark Andrews didn't do anything. Um, you... Use this business um, to get 
to get my money, and you use wrestling to get your shitty panned over, and that's what broke Mark Andrews. That was the that was the straw that broke the camel's back, was it? Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. That's what made Mark Andrews break out of these twenty wrestlers holding him apart to attack him. It's like do this shit, boom. How dare you grief my shitty band? <laughs> How dare you? Um, so it's weird. As soon as you said that, I was like, why are you getting face now, surely? <laughs> so, yeah, that was... Uh, well, what did you give this? I, honestly, I, I literally put down... Um, I, anyone could give us anything between a five and an eight, and I'd probably agree with them. So I'm just going to let you rate this. I'm going to give it a seven. Yeah, I've, I've, the work rate was insane. Apart yeah. from Stranded with Davis. I mean, I'll be honest. I love Grizzled Young Vets. I'm a massive, massive mark for the Grizzled oh, Young Vets. Probably. So, oh, you think you should watch more progress around this time then, because they were very prominent, very main evented shows around this time. I'll have to check it out. Smallman watch. Um, nothing really. It just cut straight to the video package for this match. Fair enough. And this match was the main event of Chase the Sun, Chapter 55, and it was for the Progress World Championship with Travis Banks defeating Pete Dunne, the Progress Champion, the second longest reigning Progress Champion, at 24 minutes and 7 seconds with the Lions Clutch. Chris, story. Right, so I, I touched on this earlier, British Strong Style are a bunch of cunts. Correct. And have been running rough on They've been running Russia on progress for about the last year. Um, Pete Dunne won the title. So Haskins won the title at um, Chapter 36. We're going to need a bigger room again at Brixton Academy against Mike's Girl and Tommy End. Okay. And then Haskins got injured and gave up the title in the middle of the ring. So then at the next show, um, which was the Graps of Wrath, I believe, um, they were... Okay, so there was qualifying matches and it was it turned into a seven-man elimination match where it was Travis Banks, TK Cooper, um, Pete Dunne, Trent Seven, Matt Riddle, Jimmy Havoc, and Sebastian. And but you don't need to know who Sebastian is. Okay. It really isn't. It really, everyone hates him and he can't wrestle. Um, okay. So... So Pete Dunne won, wins after Tyler Bay. And then, um, so Dunne goes on this massive run. While Travis Banks is having a bad time, his cha- his um, partner's been sent back to New Zealand and he's on his own. So going into Super Strong Style, he was a big mega baby face. So Super Strong Style, the field, Rob, for Super Strong Style this year was a who's who of wrestlers. And I'm not even joking. It was... An unbelievable field. Are you going to elaborate or? Yes, I'm going to tell you what they are, but I, because I'm a professional, I didn't have them up already, so I need to get. Idiot. <laughs> don't, rude, don't, no need to be rude, Rob. You wouldn't be watching this show if it wasn't for me. That is a good point. Ah, um, oh, fuck, I can't find <laughs> Quick, Rob, stop while I look for it. Right. Anyway, <clears throat> while he's talking about this, Pete Don made his way to the ring. And to say that he was given an unpleasant welcome would be an understatement. Oh, awful. But also, I found it. Go for it. Oh, it was Jack Sexsmith, Zach Gibson, Zack Sabre Jr., David Starr, Jimmy Havoc, Travis Banks, Mark Andrews, Flamita, Tyler Bate, Pastor William Eva, Mark Askins, Flash Morgan Webster, Matt Riddle, Trent Seven, Jeff Cobb, and Nathan Cruz. 
fair enough. It is a who's who's. Yeah, and also um, Trent Seven got knocked out by Matt Riddle in six seconds. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Um, so anyway, carry on. Um, so Banks makes his way through Super Strong Style, wins it, um, beating Tyler Bate in the ma- in the last match of the tournament, a match that got voted Progress Match of the Year of 2017. And then was uh, Fairway was like, okay, I want my title shot at Ali Pally. And James Marlon was like, yeah, of course. You won Super Strong Style. That's a whole fucking point. Um, so then Pete Dunne, was like, okay, I'm just not, I want to main event Alexander Palace. I'm refusing to defend this championship until then. And keep in mind, this Super Strong Style is in um, June. No, it's in May. And Alexander Palace is in September. Right. So Pete Dunne just flat out refused to defend his title. Which is brilliant. Yeah, so because he was like, okay, is there any official ruling of how long it takes I have to defend the championship no well i'm not fucking doing it then what are you gonna do take the championship off me there's no rules fuck you um i'm pete dunn so but then in the run-up they were basically picking each other's um opponents and <laughs> so pete dunn would not let travis banks get a win in this whole time yeah i know sorry i'm just waiting for you to carry on i'm just listening I was, I was, I was, all right, sorry. Um, so he got beat by Keith Lee, he got beat by Matt Riddle, and yeah, basically Pete Dunne was just doing everything in his power to stop all momentum for Travis Banks going into Ali Pali yeah. to try and break his spirit. And that's basically it. It's basically British strong style versus Travis Banks. Travis Banks was, um, used to be a member of CCK, so that's sort of why CCK was positioned in the anti BSS camp. Okay. The entrance, Chris. Mm-hmm. Short of Undertaker, is this the longest entrance in wrestling history? Oh, Pete Dunne just walking about. Yeah, like maybe a Randy Orton, but because he takes up about two hours of a three-hour row. Yes, he does. But, <laughs> he can Yeah, Pete Dunne just didn't give half a fuck, did he? He was just sort of walking into the crowd, going, "What are you going to do? Hit me!" And Pete Dunne, I'll fucking rip your cock off. The amount of smarky fans who had obviously stood and were giving him the one-fingered salute was brilliant, only capped by the fact that Pete Dunne walked around every single person slapping their hands down. At one point, I thought actually going to start on one of the fans. Yeah, like, people say there's no such thing as old-school hate anymore. No, I disagree. I disagree. This proved that there is old-school hate. I'm not him, Zach Gibson, and who was it early in the night who got an awful oh, and the rest of British Strong Style. They just proved that old school heat is still alive. Absolutely, and that's a good thing. Like, people wanted to murder Pete Dunn. <laughs> oh, bless him! Bless little adorable <laughs> Pete Dunn. A little adorable Peter. Um, and then this match turned into basically a WWE main event done right. <laughs> it did. I enjoyed the fact that Strong Style, British Strong Style, are fully sort of engaged in their character of we are now WWE by doing everything Triple H. I love it. They've got the sledgehammer, the pedigree, the spitting water. It's amazing. Fully embraced there. Well, we're sellouts. <laughs> it's brilliant. 
they were heels before the WWE thing. I, I feel the need to clarify that because some people just get annoyed when people use WWE for heat. Yeah. But like, they were already very heated and they were just sort of like, well, we can take this and make this nuclear. And like, they didn't overdo it. Like, they weren't, apart from Trent Seven did use it when he was a face to get pops. Like, he, um, he used, it used to be a running thing where Zach Gibson in the Mustache Mountain versus Gibson Game Veterans feud, Zach Gibson was the only one at the time not signed to WWE. <laughs> So he keep doing. He phoned up. Was like, "Oh hey, Triple H. Uh, yeah, I'm just. I have to wrestle this Scouser." And he was like, "Like, um." And he just started coming. I was like, "Hey, Kai, you know what? Me and has Zach WWE contracts. You know what? James Drake over there has Zach WWE contracts." And then he just got to James Drake and go, "Colleague." <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely amazing. Um. This match was really, really, really good. My favourite moment, I think, of it, though, was Travis Banks going for a tope and literally Pete Dunne elbowing him out of the air. That was, like, ouch. Like, you see them sometimes, and it's like, well, you're a million miles away. I don't know if it was the camera angle or if they're just that confident in each other's abilities. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, I like how Chris Roberts um, had the story of, okay, I'm not taking any shit after being punched by a girl and just put, <laughs> threatens for a strong style of a sledgehammer. Specifically Pete Dunne, which was brilliant, because yeah. Pete Dunne was like, yeah, what are you going to do? And then Roberts came at him with the sledgehammer, and you sort of saw, saw Pete Dunne go, oh, shit, all right, okay, calm down. I love Pete Dunne's um, smirk into a, oh, shit, actually, no, don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> which he transitioned so well into, I thought. Yeah. Um, they brawl into the crowd, and this is a particularly bad brawl into the crowd. Like, I'm sure it was a good brawl in the crowd, but we saw fucking none of it. No, we didn't. Except on the one camera angle. And what's fucked, from that camera angle, you can see there's a camera there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it either. Um, so we also managed to... You say it was a WWE main event done right, and it was, but that after the bullshit of Mustache Mountain being kicked out by the referee and then all that... We then had a New Japan main event where spam finishes and Banks kicking out. Yeah, there was quite a lot of that. But to be fair, we did explain it away by having having a big gap between a lot of them because of the ref problems. It was still stupid. It, it did get ridiculous by the end. I do completely agree with you there. Though, did you laugh a little bit at Travis Banks kicking out of the pedigree at one? Yeah, I absolutely laughed. <laughs> it was um, brilliant. And you know, know what, like, what, what, what I did like earlier in the match actually was two um, coast-to-coasts. And then straight away, Pete Dunne just goes for a pedigree like right after. I'm like, okay, so I guess Travis Banks did this coast-to-coast for fucking nothing. Yeah, it was... Um, it, it did get to a point where we were no-selling finishes and it's at that point that I start getting a little bit taken out of it. I did like how um, Banks took away the second rope to stop the slice of heaven. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it as a case of even the rope is pissed off with these finishes now. <laughs> even the rope wants to go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it was it was a good match. It was a good, solid match. Obviously, we had three different referees in this match, um, and we had Mustache Mountain coming back after they'd been banished, and CCK coming in to take them out with their very, very loose connection with Travis Banks. Um, 
and eventually, after spamming the kick-out button, um, we had... We had resilience. Go on. We had the resilience um, thing in 2K. Yes, he did. Um, Banks eventually managed to tap Dunn out with the Lions Clutch, um, which was ridiculous catharsis. The commentary at this point from Glenn Joseph had gone into ultrasonic. He'd gone that high. Um, he was just, he was, only dogs could hear him at this point. He was that excited, the fact that Pete Dunn had been dethroned. What do you love about Glenn Joseph is that he didn't censor himself. He's just like, holy shit! Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ! The thing is, I don't know if he, I think he, a lot of the time he's actually just scared that his friend has got hurt. Yeah, probably. Probably. You should see, you should see him in a David Hads, um star match. David Starr's lariat's called a hand stancing. And when he throws it, it's like, hand stancing! <laughs> he did get well into it. I loved I loved his commentary throughout this. I don't think we've spoke about it enough. It was great. Um, he, he's, he's sort of like JR in the sense of he can just, he's really in the moment, but also like Paul Heyman and that he can break down a fight perfectly. Like, he, I've told you about the Karen Noir thing, but like it's the best example where he got Karen Noir's ballet background over as a reason he should be a feared fighter. I still don't think that's a thing, but okay. <laughs> it's a thing that happens. Um, I enjoyed the fact that Pete Dunne was the one who gave Banks the belt and then sort of shrugged his shoulders as though to go, I don't know how the fuck I've beaten you. I, I, I've done WWE, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. And obviously, you know, enormous part from the Ali Pali crowd. Travis Banks gets his mom and his dad in. I genuinely watched the entire thing thinking at some point someone's going to come in and attack Travis Banks' mom and dad. But it didn't happen. We ended on a happy note, which was good. And what I loved is Travis Banks' dad nicked the title. <laughs> so did his mum. His mum genuinely was like full on, I am the champ. But he just saw Travis Banks go, give it back, mum. It's like fucking, don't hug in my moment. <laughs> what did you give this then? I gave it an eight because I remember seeing it at the time and being properly into it. Like in retrospect, in, because of the amount of like Japanese dressing I've watched, like, interference annoys the fuck out of me. Yeah, I'm, I'd give it eight. Um, it was it was a high seven, but I'd, I'll give it an eight. Um, again, the, the Honestly, reasons I've given you pop at the end and for Dunn's heel heat. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason it couldn't be any higher for me, like I say, was the was the spamming of finishes and and Travis Banks kicking out of everything, and apparently is. And then you look at how he's being used in NXT UK and just what oh, the fuck? Travis Banks um, run as champ was. Great, he had some amazing matches. But even some of the challenge, so Travis Banks was one of those champions who would take on mid carders, but make the mid like like a Bret Hart would make the mid carder look credible. Yeah, like he he took on Flash Morgan Webster, and people in the electric ballroom were crying because black because Flash Morgan Webster didn't manage to get the victory. <laughs> like um, Jack Sexsmith got a shot at the title. Oh Jesus um, Christ! I love Sexsmith by the way. I thought he was hilarious. Oh, Sexsmith is great. Um, the pansexual phenomenon. Love it. He beat Joe Coffey at unboxing this that year. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, um, what? Okay. <laughs> well, no, it's um, yeah. I'm trying to think about. Um, he had a, a main. Um, it's a, it's one of those you have to watch it matches with Will Osprey. Um, it was unbelievable. Like it's and Will Osprey brought up a hidden blade about two years before he did it to Ibushi. That move still scares me, man. It does scare. It's very scary. But Travis Banks was fine. It was an amazing match. So, 
Travis Banks will go to the slice of heaven and then Osprey, when Branks goes up to the slice of heaven, springboards at the same time and catches him in an Oscutter. Jesus. And then Banks did the same with the slice of heaven, which hurt even more because it's a kick. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Like, seriously, Banks took on all comers and made all comers look credible. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's the end of the show, Chris. Um, you've got me to watch Progress. Finally. I know you're a little bit happy in I'm a special happy. place. No, because like it's literally the thing I'm most passionate about in wrestling. It's what I imagine Impact is to Gaff or Batista's dick is to you. Like, it's just... Whoa! I mean, you're right. But. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's like it's for it's for one wrestling show where I don't ever find it a chore to watch. Like you saw me with Super Strong Style this year, I watched all those shows the minute we went on demand and didn't pause the whole way through. No, no, you're right, you did, you did. I feel sorry for you that weekend actually. <laughs> hey, they're all up on the website. They're all those ratings are up on the website. And to be, I remember I keep reading it. I think it's I think it's the one thing that makes me like a proper like mark because I read reviews and people give like a match that I gave a nine like a two a two star and I'm like Jesus Christ, <laughs> <laughs> just completely impassioned rage. Yeah, I'm like, do you a two star would be a house show match? You stupid cunt! Fucking voices of wrestling. Fuck off. Anyway, oh, don't attack voices of wrestling. Like they listen to this podcast. Yeah, they're never going to hear this. Um, but thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. Um, that is the end of our retro review. Um, well, I'm sure this won't be the last time we cover progress if Chris has got anything to do with it. Um, in a few months, the next time the topic demands it, I'll put progress back in the bill. Yeah, absolutely. When this goes up on Saturday, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we will put the new um, vote up so you can vote on what we uh, cover next time. Next. This time. Say again. Do we have a category this time? I will let you know. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Do mystical. you really wish I hadn't asked you that question? Yeah, because you put me on the spot now and I don't know. <laughs> We're professional here on Podmania. Um, yeah, but thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Our next podcast, of course, on Wednesday, we will have episode four of the Young Lioncast with myself and Chris, and we are going through some retro Japanese matches again in lieu of retro. wrestling. I gave you some retro ones, but for the most part, you picked the ones from five years ago. I did. It's just because I love Suzuki. There's a lot of Suzuki in that. Just uh, just be warned. Yeah, it's not Suzuki and then one, one Masawa match, so I wouldn't scream at Rob. <laughs> um, and then on Saturday will be the return, hopefully, of A, Garth, and B, the retro, sorry, the list format of the podcast. In the meantime, you can check out the website, www.podmania.co.uk, where you can see the archive of all the podcasts we have done and also our match ratings for all the matches we've seen and all the matches we've watched. We put all our archived ones on there. You can check out the universe mode with a new episode every Monday at 7 p.m. GMT. You can find us on Twitter at Podmania. You can talk to me on Twitter at Real Rob Goodwin. Chris, where can they find you? Just go to the podcast one. I'd never log into my one anymore. I know, and it's got a shit name, so don't ever look at it, ever. Oh, really? I, I like the name. I love the name, at Candy Chris 97 But I don't know why you hate the name. What's wrong with the name? It's a stupid name. It's not a stupid name. You're a stupid name. And on that bombshell, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you guys again soon. 
You've been listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podmania, Facebook at Podmania Podcasts, and YouTube and Instagram at RealPodmania. And check out the website, podmania.co.uk. Until next time, wrestling fans... 